0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time once again for the Beat the Off and Path podcast. On this podcast, we showcase unusual success stories because unusual times call for unusual success stories. And we are living in some very unusual times, folks. My guest today has made it in Hollywood in every sense of the word. He built an awesome career for himself in the path of lighting or gaffing or director of photography. He talks about the gear. He talks about unusual ways of making income. He talks about how to build momentum in Hollywood. There is nothing but gold in this episode. It is one of the most practical episodes we have done. If you pay attention, there is a lot to be learned about making it in show business, in the world of film. And there is just so much that I am going to personally gain from this. I'm very, very excited He has done incredible things, as you can see by the images scrolling through your screen right now. This man knows what he's doing and he's worked on some massive projects for huge brands. So with that, I'm very pleased to introduce my next guest, Jacob Abrams. All right, Jacob Abrams, welcome to the podcast. Thanks,
1: Uh, glad to be here.
0: (laughs) So to start off, would you say that you have more of a career or more of a racket?
1: Uh, definitely a career. I mean, um, it's, uh, you know, sort of doing what I wanted to do since high school. And it's sort of pretty much the same thing, but it's just evolved a bit, you could say. Okay. So would you consider
0: yourself more of a hustler or more of a scam artist? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's an extremely hostile interview. Uh, both? It's a very hostile <laughs> interview. Um, no, but tell everybody what you do. What is your current profession?
1: Yeah. So I, uh, I'm a gaffer in Hollywood. Um, I like commercials and TV shows and movies and I own a lighting rental company and, uh, sort of my own small race team as well. Wow. That's an unusual pairing. I like this already. Yeah. Um, so for
0: those (laughs) who don't know,
1: (laughs) what is a gaffer? Um, so basically I'm the person in charge of the lighting design on a film. Um, so, you know, a director and a director of photography will come to me and say, hey, we, we want it to look like there's warm sunlight coming through this window and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I execute that. I pick the right lights, the, the people, the cable, the, the logistics. I tell them how long it's going to take, you know, and I, you know, I'm also the guy who's there dialing in the light to make sure it's aimed in the right place and got the right color on it and you know everything so i'm, I'm involved from the pre production stages of figuring out okay we want this warm sunlight to come in through the window all the way through the finished process of you know making sure it's there and doing what it should do okay so what what is a day in the life um, it, it can vary quite a bit. I mean, it's, uh, I'd say half the days are spent on set, um, you know, actually lighting stuff and the other half are spent, um, you know, either scouting or just in, you know, in the office or prepping trucks. So it's like, if I get a call for a commercial that shoots on a Friday and it's a Monday, um, basically my week is pretty much one day on set that Friday, but the rest of the week is I'll start, with a scout, we'll go to you know go to the house we're shooting at and we'll take a look at it and decide what we want to do and so that's a day and then the next day is just office work. It's figuring out okay well what lights do I need to bring what um, you know what time do we need to start uh, you know what size generator do we need how much cable do we need how many people do we need all the logistics just figuring that all out mapping it out putting it down on paper for everybody quoting it out getting it approved and then. The third day is is loading the trucks, prepping the gear, making sure all the lights work, making sure they're organized and labeled, and then uh, you know on the fourth day you show up and shoot it. Okay.
0: So would you say that the majority of your time is spent working not on set?
1: Um, yeah, uh, it definitely can be. I mean, there's obviously, you know, when it's busy, sometimes, uh, those kind of that perfect scenario, those four days of prep kind of overlap and okay. I might be on another commercial, um, and totally miss the physical prep for the next one. And I'll send, you know, one of my, one of my guys to cover it for me and I'll just do a little bit of catch up work at night over the phone. And so, when it's not too busy, yeah, it's, you know, I'm spending four days a week doing office stuff and one or two days a week on set. And when it's busy, it could easily be six days a week on set. It just depends.
0: Okay. And do you tend to limit how many days that you're working or is it just you take whatever you can get when it comes in?
1: Uh, no, no, I, I try and limit it um, to a degree because uh, I'm all about, you know, uh, quality over quantity. Like mm-hmm. I I'd rather only take jobs that I can 100% commit to and be 100% prepared for um, going into them because, you know, you've got to uphold a standard of quality. Otherwise, nobody's going to hire you. If you just show up and do a crummy job, you know, nobody wins. You know, yeah, you might make an extra couple bucks, but you're going to lose a client. So long term, you're, you're out of luck there. Sure. Well, I mean, I
0: think, you know, here in LA, People know about lighting and, you know, the business of show, as it were. Um, But I think in the the general population, people probably don't know what a gaffer is. They have have some loose concept that lighting is a thing that exists in the Netflix shows they watch. But I think very few people, I'm guessing here, would think of it as a viable career path. Um, So how did you get tuned into the idea to do this? At what age? I mean... I don't, you probably weren't born or in middle school thinking, like, I'm going to be a gaffer, right? Or or was that the case? Uh, no,
2: no.
1: Um, quite the opposite. I mean, okay. you know, like anybody who gets interested in, in movies in, in high school, it's like, you know, you think you want to be a director or producer. I mean, you look at like somebody like Steven Spielberg and think, okay, I want to be that guy. Um, right. Because, you know, especially when you, you go to a movie and you see the credits roll, the first name you see is the director or the producer <laughs> and maybe the lead actor – Right. And then you walk out of the theater most of <laughs> the time. I mean, got you don't know who the other 900 people are that no. worked on the movie. It keeps on um, scrolling. You know, it, yeah, exactly. It just doesn't register that there's other people who can um, make a really good living doing what they do behind the scenes. Yeah, And, um, you know, so I went to I went to film school um, at Florida State thinking I wanted to be a director or producer. Okay. And... You know, we we were lucky there that they give you, you know, the option to try a little bit of everything and they even mm. sort of force you to try a little bit of everything. You've okay. got to be a director. You've got to be a producer. You've got to be a writer. You have to be a, a boom operator, you know, a sound yeah. mixer, an editor, um, a, a production designer, a key grip, uh, you know, and a camera assistant. And the list goes on and you get a taste of, you know, what you like and what you don't like and what you're good at and what you're not good at and i realized pretty early on um i didn't actually like directing or producing it just Mm. it wasn't for me it wasn't fun it wasn't what i got you know excited about doing when i was working on a movie and what i did get excited about was um was the the aspect of actually photographing of you know Mm. you know the lighting and the lensing of it and so i um i focused on being a director of photography in in college and that was where i sort of focused all my energy from you know on a couple weeks into school when i realized that's what i wanted to do and i i bought a dslr and i spent um every day not at school not working on films just shooting photos and reading uh, blogs about photography and about wow. lighting and about lenses and like I, I lived and breathed it 24-7. Wow.
0: So you're saying like a, within a couple weeks of freshman year you knew that? or?
1: Uh, well, uh, no, freshman year was uh, you know, more like gen ed classes and basic oh, okay. film stuff, film theory, so it's we got into actual like physical production and doing all the real jobs on set sophomore year and it was okay. Uh, Yeah, probably two weeks into sophomore year, maybe three before I realized, yeah, this is not what I want to do at all. (laughs) I would rather, if I had to stick to directing or Mm -hmm. like drop out and go to business school, I was going to go to business school. But wow.
0: Oh my God. It was, that's really sad. It wasn't for
2: me.
1: Business school
0: being, of course, the worst thing ever, as those commercials (laughs) for DeVry Institute taught us, or what was it? The Art Institute from (laughs) when we were
1: kids in the 90s or whatever. (gasps) They're
0: like, yeah, dad wants to go to business school.
1: Oh, completely. My, I mean, that was the pressure from ever since I was 16 or 17 years old wow. when I told my dad I wanted to go to film school. And he was like, "No, you're you're oh. going to business school. You're going oh to the University of Pennsylvania, like I did, and your grandfather did, and your aunts and uncles oh, did, and everybody, in my family did." And oh my goodness! So there was a bit of a bit of pressure not to go, yeah. you know, the direction I did. Fascinating, man. So, well,
0: interesting that it was internally motivated. You know, because it could have been the other way around. You could say, I love directing, but I got all the feedback on my projects that I sucked. and <laughs> At a certain point, I took a hint. Like, you know, it could be externally motivated, but in your case, it was, no, I don't, yeah. I don't like doing this. And that was where the shift came from. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. So, all right. So sophomore year, you're thinking about composing a shot. At what point did lighting specifically start to creep in as a, as a career path option?
1: Um, it um I don't know, must have been the end of sophomore year when we started shooting on on physical film on Super Sixteen and Mm. took some some real lighting classes in film school and you know how to learn how to use a light meter and um you know, sort of because you're shooting on film, you've got to learn how to see the image before it's developed because you don't get it back for a week. So you need to know what you're doing um and be able to execute it without any feedback. And in that process of like really sitting down and, and focusing on like, okay, what does every single light do on set? What's its purpose? Um, you know, both technically and creatively, it was just, I found it fascinating, especially there was one specific challenge where, you know, the director told me they wanted these, these beams, these shafts of light coming through this hallway and, You know, I'd seen it plenty in movies. It was like, oh, that's easy. We just use this light and we put it right here and, you know, we get a beam. And I went and did that and nothing happened. Hmm. And we didn't get the beam. And I had no idea why not. And it was um, at the same time infuriating as it was um, inspiring to know that there's just so much more to this that I don't know that Mm, I could know. And it just, you know, it forced me to, to really take a step back and say, wow, there's a lot to this. I need to learn, you know, more to get good at it. And I, you know, I think I'm close enough. So this might be a cool path. Cool. You know what? I was actually, I have a dual degree.
0: My, uh, my other bachelor's is in film studies as well. And our, our senior project was done on film on 16 millimeter. And that was insane, you know, like splicing. But we had to cut it by hand. Like, we literally had to cut it and tape (laughs) it together. And we had a very limited amount of film because they had no budget. So we had, like, just a certain, maybe a couple canisters. That's it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, so it was, like, a a super short film. But we also had, like, a little canister of of sound. We were recording sound on magnetic tape, I guess. And I ran out of sound, but when I had some extra film. So I had to (laughs) use, like shots that we had cut i spliced it into the soundtrack because it was i figured out it was the same size so like my my moments of silence and the sound were like bits of unused film it was very ghetto but it was certainly an eye-opening process and the result was really really cool i mean we took it to a professional color correcting facility and that was when i learned how much can be done with film versus digital it was it blew my mind because they're like you know somebody's like oh see your shirt it's blue and then he just Moved a knob and my shirt was bright red, as clear as it had ever been. (laughs) Like, and I was like, "What?
1: It's mind blowing." The first time you see it, it's like, wow." How do you how do you do 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 that so easily? Like, there's so much that could be done. They just pushed
0: and pulled it so much farther than anything. And of course, like, it's not like digital tools were that great at the time. It was like Final Cut Seven or something like that. So yeah, but the difference was extreme. That was when I started to get a a bit of a respect. For the industry and like, okay, yeah.
1: you guys are well, serious. Taking a taking a step back in my career, yeah. I actually, um, you know, I actually really got into it as sort of as a result of uh, learning like visual effects and editing and stuff more than anything. Yeah. Like, I um, I got into playing with um, After Effects, you know, Adobe After Effects, wow. like in, in you know, in early. I guess early like public release bill. I don't know what you call it, but I mean, it, it hadn't been out for too long for like normal people to use on a desktop computer. Yeah. Um, and you know, I just got super into that and in, in high school, even in, you know, like film TV classes and uh, you know, was sort of pushing into the limit of what could be done on a desktop mm-hmm. computer with zero knowledge of how this shit yeah. actually works and um, did some, you know, stuff that my my teachers in high school and my my friends were like wow this is really cool like i had no idea this was even possible yeah and it was sort of like those those moments were the sort of aha moments like okay maybe i can make a career in this um because i was you know without any real guidance already sort of a couple steps ahead of everybody else and and had some success in like student film festivals as a result of it and um you know and and that was uh you know when i won a couple of big student film festivals that I was the sort of moment i was like okay maybe i can uh you know maybe i can make a career to this and go to film school and do something with it
0: oh wow okay so that's that's awesome i mean so okay so you're in college you think this is something that you're gonna do for a career and then is the thought immediately i need to move to la or is that right oh on? yeah okay so, did you like oh, graduate, empty. buy a plane ticket, and off you went, or how did that go?
1: Um, I, more or less. I mean, you know, pretty much I, I knew from like the minute I got into film school, I was like, right. okay, the second I graduated moving to LA, you know, forget about New York. Atlanta wasn't a thing yet, so that wasn't even an option. Um, okay. You know, because LA is the place where we made movies. I mean, right. you know, that's where you're going to be, right? And so, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I, I graduated in uh, in December and um, I decided to probably be wise to at least look for an apartment and look for um, a little bit of work to get me started to get some money before I moved out. So I waited. Hmm. I waited about three months, you know, just searching for a place to live and, you know, some hmm. initial leads. And then, yeah, after three months after school, I, I moved out and... Um, Yeah, I started working as a production assistant for a commercial production company that did um, like Home Depot commercials and Toyota commercials. um, You know, a lot lot of big commercials that, you know, I was just a little gopher on them is, you know, the guy who gets waters and copies through people and just sort of seeing how it was done. Wow. So how long did it take you to get that gig and how did you get that gig? Um, That was... uh, you know, uh, sort of a lucky, somewhat distant family connection was my dad's college roommate's sister was a, um, commercial producer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I reached out to her and I said, Hey, can we sit down and, you know, have a coffee and, you know, talk about the industry. And, um, yeah, I had a productive meeting with her and, you know, um, I, you know, she said, you know, let me know when you're available and try to get you on the, couple days as a PA and and, you know she's she made it very clear she's not going to give me a career as a PA and I'm not going to have like a guaranteed job moving out but it was like yeah you get three four days and then you got to go find the rest on your own and which was good Um, you know but it was it was a good introduction to seeing how it's done at the highest level and then making some really good connections in the process like you know I was definitely nervous you know sort of with that understanding that, okay, yeah, I've got a couple of days of work lined up and I, I've i got to figure out the rest on my own. yeah And I don't know, I must've been on the second or third day I met another PA who was transitioning from uh, features into commercials. And she was, um, you know, production coordinator on features. So sort of taking a step down into commercials to, you know, sidetrack and move on to a different career path. And, you know, met that person and, and she, was able to quickly jump back up to working as a coordinator on commercials and was able to get me some work right after that, but transitioned into, you know, working together for a number of years after.
0: Wow. So you had a, a couple of pretty good, I, I mean, I guess lucky breaks is one way to say it, but yeah. there wasn't really a moment, there was no lull. So kind of like once you started, it, it just sort of took off.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, certainly that was the case. I mean, obviously it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do at first. Just sure. Working as a PA or camera PA or whatever it, sure. at first is no more than just sort of um, a basic income and sort of just like almost more film schools. Like you're just watching how the pros do it, right. um, which was good because there's no, you know, there's no risk of me screwing anything up. I could just watch mm. and learn, which was cool. And I, I did learn a lot. Um you know, from guys like darius wolski who shot all of like ridley scott's movies and um you know a couple other really talented cinematographers and directors and and um you know so it was it was definitely good that was my first year i guess was mostly that and it, you know and then shooting like little tiny zero budget short films on the side and i would take what i'd seen on set that day and and translate it to these little zero budget shorts i was shooting and And, uh, yeah, that was cool, but it was the, uh, the, the real luck of it though, was meeting that, that person, that production coordinator, Mm. the only reason that we even really, you know, connected or she, you know, saw me out from the crowd was that we were doing casting for a Home Depot commercial at a Home Depot. Um, and I had my laptop open with a, a still I had shot. On a uh, set in film school of like this um, gangster movie with rain coming down and stuff, and and she's like, "Oh, what's that movie? That looks cool." I'm like, "Oh, like I did that in film school." (laughs) Wow! And uh, she's like, "Oh, no, no way! That looks like a real movie." I'm like, "No, no, no! Like that's still a shot in film school." And then so you know, next thing you know, some of my film school work is you know, fast forward eight nine years, and that's getting me huge commercials with the same person. And like, who would have thought?
0: My God, that is so awesome. Um, Were there moments of doubt or regret? Were there moments where you had that typical kind of L.A. hangover where you're sitting there thinking, like, my God, what have I done? You know, it's so expensive. (laughs) There's helicopters and there's high crime. Did you
1: have that, or was it always, this is where I want to be? Oh, yeah. I mean, it it was... um it was a sort of a weird circumstance I found myself in not too long after moving out here where, like I said, I wanted to be a director of photography. I wanted to shoot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I started shooting some smaller music videos for a, a friend of mine, um, who had been out here a little longer than I, and, you know, was starting to work his way up. And, um, you know, next thing you know, it all came crashing down around me um, when I shot some behind the scenes stills for that director friend and Aerie, uh, you know, one of the biggest camera companies saw the stills and wanted to use them for um, marketing material. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. You know, not only is it going to get my name out, but I can actually charge them a licensing fee and make some money off of this, which is great because I wasn't making much money, you know, as a PA. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, next thing you know, the production company um, involved with the production of the music video that I shot the stills on calls me and says, "Hey, um, you can't do that. We own the rights to those photos. We oh, want all the money. Right. Um, go screw yourself." And I'm like, "No, no, no. Like, I did this as a favor for free for this director friend. You never paid me. You don't own the rights. And yeah, now we're in this stupid legal battle um, over you know a couple thousand dollars." Um, and that's not even the worst part of it. I mean, yeah, I was worried about losing that money when I wasn't making a whole lot. And yeah, I was like, you know, afraid of going broke. Sure. But the, the bigger issue was that the, the person that I was now battling over, you know, the licensing and these photos was the the executive producer who owned the production company that I was shooting all these music videos for. and that was like my one career path and it was it was going great it was going up 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 shooting bigger ones and bigger ones and Mm. then next thing you know the guy who's hiring me and and giving me these opportunities to shoot now wants to sue me and never wants to hear from me again and um i'm like what have i done this is a complete disaster my career has just been thrown in the toilet over a stupid photo right and what
0: happened? <laughs> Did it resolve
1: itself? Um, Did you just say forget uh, it, forget I'm, it? I'm bowing out or my apologies? Yeah, well, or? we, you know, it ended up resolving it to the point where they got 66% of the money and I got 33% okay. of it. Okay. And, um, you know, and it was sort of under the premise that I could still keep working for them. But, you know, as soon as the check showed up, they, they were like, no, we never want to hear from you again. My God. Um, and then so, yeah, all of a sudden, all these, you know, music videos I was going to shoot and, you know, this this chance to start really building my career and, you know, meeting with agents and really establishing myself as a director of photography, just poof, gone up in smoke, didn't exist anymore. And so I basically, you know, a year into being in L.A., I had this this uh i don't know quarter life crisis if you will is like oh, this is bad i've got to reinvent myself somehow mm-hmm.
0: okay so
1: carry um, on man this is fascinating yeah stuff. so um you know ultimately what that meant was is that since most of my leads in terms of shooting stuff were now gone um you know, I just started sort of taking work, doing whatever I could do. So I was working a lot as a camera assistant and working a lot as a, as a grip and an electric and a gaffer. And, um, you know, I, I sort of fell into working as a gaffer a lot, um, because it was, you know, a lot of the same responsibilities as, um, being director of photography, but, um, you know, a lot less of the politics and a lot less of the pressure and, um, just more ability to focus on the creative like i didn't have to deal with delusional directors and producers and Mm -hmm. all the egos i just showed up and you know did the fun stuff and went home and could sleep at night and i realized that you know maybe that was kind of more for me because i didn't have to deal with all the the crazy hollywood nonsense i could just do eccentric what, types go back, go back. Yeah, exactly. Go back to the roots of what I enjoyed about making films in the first wow. place in, in high school and in film school. And, and, you know, that was, you know, an enticing thing. And then mm-hmm. I got a lucky break where, you know, that same production coordinator um, asked me to gaff a car commercial for infinity mm-hmm. with a director of photography from New York who didn't have any LA guys. And I don't know, I was maybe, 22, 23 at the time. I was definitely not experienced enough to actually do this. And mm-hmm. she said, Oh, you know, have you done car stuff? You how to work with Russian arms and blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, sure. No big deal. I got this completely fake it till you make it moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I just did what any sane person would do and hire really good people underneath <laughs> right. me. And, uh, and, you know, it went great. And, um, That led to a ton of other work because it was like all of a sudden I had something I could show that was, you know, a real commercial for a real brand with a real budget. And, you know, when when people would come to me and say, hey, what have you done? I could show them that they're like, oh, this looks great. You're hired. And that was a huge stepping stone into like really doing it on a professional level and not just like, you know, little music videos and shorts and low budget stuff. So leading
0: up to this, with all the little things, it, how are you acquiring these gigs? Are you doing the Craigslist game? Is it all word of mouth?
1: Yeah. Well, no. There was some. Um, it was anything I could take. I mean, yeah. There was like Craigslist gigs. There was word of mouth. There was um, I'm trying to think. There was also uh, you know there was a little bit of work coming through like my uh, FSU like alumni network where I you know got some some work from you know some other grads who moved out to LA and, you know, sort of that network and, um, and yeah, just, you know, sort of aggressively advertising myself when I'm on set saying, Hey, I'm available for mm. so-and-so hire me, you know,
2: yeah.
1: doing whatever I could, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of Craigslist stuff. And I, I okay. did, I met, um, you know, somebody, uh, a couple of people that I still work with to this day on craigslist which seems ridiculous because 99 percent of those gigs were oh, were horrible. ridiculous and, uh yeah a lot of very clueless egomanial insane people that didn't even want to pay you um mm-hmm. but you know a couple gigs that led to a uh, real future so
0: unbelievable
1: okay so let's let's do a little bit of a fast forward then
0: so break down. give me a bullet point what are career highlights at this point
1: um yeah, I guess uh career highlights um would be yeah, that like starting from the beginning would be probably doing that Infinity commercial. Mm-hmm. And then uh not long after that I did a a cool British sci-fi movie called Division Nineteen, um, which most people are probably not seen as it only came out a couple of years ago and it wasn't that big, but it was it was a big stepping stone for me mm-hmm. to do a, a real movie with a decent budget and you know, some famous actors behind it. So that was cool. Right. And then in terms of other features, I've done a couple more that were, you know, a couple million here and there, but uh, in terms of budget, but nothing that I'd want to watch. So I'm not (laughs) going to list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, they look cool, but the story wasn't good. So you probably haven't heard of them. I'm going to gloss over that. So uh, it's mostly, you know, like, commercials um okay. one of the coolest ones i ever did was a uh, you know unfortunately never shortly after that never came out it was with stan lee for netflix for the super bowl Whoa. they didn't finish it in time no. for the super bowl we never saw it um oh. it was cool though um okay. and the big um you know fast forward a couple of years from the infinity commercial like the the next big step from looking at and just broader strokes was um a commercial for estee lauder um which was one of the few commercials that i've you know ever seen that had like a full write-up in american cinematographer magazine about no how way. we did it um so that's huge. And, and that was yeah that was a huge step because okay yeah i've done a you know an infinity commercial who cares but okay now i've done a commercial that was cool enough to actually be written about you know alongside you know, big movies by, you know, Tarantino or Christopher Nolan or whatever, in the same pages of the same American cinematographer magazine. And it's like, uh, that was pretty cool. You know, it was, we, we did a lot of cool things and was sort of, you know, pushing it to uh, the limit creatively, at least, you know, we could do at the time with the constraints and the budget and everything we had. And, and also, um, that was a huge career move for me because it was a bit of a risk even taking it because it was um, a union commercial and I wasn't officially in the union yet. Okay. And, and you are now. You're in the union now. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. I've been okay. in for uh, for about four years now. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, I wasn't officially in yet, and uh, you know, um, most of the people in, you know, pretty much everyone in charge of hiring me and, you know, understood that and were willing to take the risk. But um, I got stabbed in the back by some people underneath me as a result of it. And so that's a whole other story. But it was definitely a bit of a risk. And it ended up paying off, you know, massively, you know, moving forward because it was, you know, something, you know, that really put me on the same level as some of the you know, highest level guys out there that, yeah. you know, when somebody wanted to hire me for the biggest job out there, I could say, yeah, I've done, done this. This is as, wow. you know, as high as it goes in the commercial world. So, you know, I'm your guy. Cool.
0: Well, now I think I want to kind of switch gears here a little bit because obviously I'm assuming that up until this point, you're relying on your, your talent and it's what you know, and what you bring to the table. But uh, to those who don't know much about the industry, obviously gear plays a tremendous role because there's an infinite amount of gear that you can have <laughs> from what i know i mean i'm i'm not really involved but there's an infinite amount i mean these things aren't cheap you know a single light can cost what 100 grand 200 grand like if you want like what's a re yeah. sky panel going to cost a lot right
1: yeah it's expensive yeah
0: so and you're you're stacking together multiple panels multiple lights all of these kinds of things i mean it can quickly get into hundreds of thousands millions of dollars just worth of gear cameras are a couple hundred thousand for the netflix camera like yeah what?
1: right the aria yeah, Alexa. 200k for just the camera yeah just and then the camera. Could half a million for your lens right yeah. so
0: half a million for lenses so kit is such a huge huge yeah. part um sound is relatively cheap which is good for a kind of audio person like me compared <laughs> to all that other stuff but the gear is huge. I mean, there's a reason that Netflix looks like Netflix or planet earth looks like planet earth and that your DSLR footage doesn't look anything like that. So at what point did you start thinking, I have to start bringing some gear along with me. I have to start investing in gear. And what kind of gear did you start with to
1: begin that part Um, of the journey? Yeah, that was, that was a part of the journey that was actually kind of um, unexpected. It was like, you know, when I first started out, um, you know, when I first moved here and I was trying to shoot, not, not necessarily gaff, um, you know, everybody told me there's sort of, there's two routes you can take. There's, you know, the route of, yeah, my mommy bought me a red camera and now I'm a DP. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, Love that one. <laughs> you know, right. And uh, it, it's hilarious, but it's true. There's a lot of those people out yeah. there and you know, some of them have actually parlayed that into real success when they've, you know, been humble about it and, and, and used it as an opportunity to have a, a good looking camera when, you know, production couldn't afford it and, you know, eventually shot some cool enough stuff that they really got hired and paid for it. And then there's, mm-hmm. you know, then there's the route of, I'm never going to own gear. I'm going to purely just rent what we need for the correct, correct, uh, creative approach we're taking on the shoot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is is great if you can afford it. But the reality is, you know, when you're starting out, especially it's like. Chances are you can't really afford the right tool for what you're trying to do, especially on a music video where maybe the whole budget's 10 grand and, um, you know, the camera package rental for what you really want right. is also 10 grand. And then oops, That's what you I was can't say, afford it's like, you know, else.
0: we're in a place where even the rental is still expensive for most normal yeah. people. Even a day rate oh, yeah, on some absolutely. of this stuff is nuts.
1: So, yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so I, 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 sort of fell into the latter camp. You know, uh, for two reasons. I mean, one, I, I couldn't afford to go and buy a fifty thousand dollar red camera. I didn't. Yep. I was making two hundred dollars a day as a PA. Uh, yeah, the math doesn't add up there. Right. Um, and also, you know, I, I did appreciate that creative integrity of like, okay, I want to choose the right tool for the job. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, I took that attitude forward with me for about, I don't know, almost two years. Mm-hmm. And then I did a, a movie, a gaffed a movie called Miss India America, um, which, you know, it was like a, I don't know, six or $700,000 budget, um, comedy. And it was actually a pretty good movie. And, the, uh, the one big thing I learned on that was that, you know, we couldn't really afford the lights we wanted mm. um, for the shoot. Cause there was just so many other moving parts. And so, yeah. you know, we, we did uh, afford uh, a generator for the whole shoot though, you know, a big tow plant generator. So it's like, we, we had the capacity to power any of the bigger lights we wanted, but we just couldn't afford any bigger lights. So we're instead we're ganging up a bunch of small lights mm. and not only doing more work because, okay, now you need three or four small lights next to each other as opposed to one big one, but it just, it doesn't look as good because there's things you can do with one single bigger light you can't do with four next to each other because you get multiple shadows and all sorts of goofy stuff. Right. And, you know, it occurred to me, okay, well, what if I bought that one bigger light that I wanted to use and on the next little movie i could rent it to production and you know i'd make another 500 600 bucks a week um great i mean everybody wins right
0: yeah
1: and um you know so i i basically spent the next three or four months like trying to figure out how that would best work like okay um if i did that how much really would i make from it would it would it actually create a return on investment or am I just losing money and just doing it for the creative or yeah. And I, once I ran the math on it, I was like, yeah, it it would, if I found a used one, um, in theory, it should pay itself back in two years. And if it would last longer than two years, which it it should, it's less 10, 15, then it should start to turn a nice profit after two years. Mm. And so then the search was on for a used light, um, Mm. and wanted a deep discount. (laughs) I know. That um, game well. And I spent yeah, I spent months searching for one on, you know, on Craigslist and on, you know, you know, lighting auction sites and at use sales at rental houses and you know, everywhere you could think of. And then I stumbled upon one in the most unlikely of places at a website called reduser.net, which is you know a place where you sell red cameras. Hmm. And this guy was selling a a Cine Mills 6K par um, and for I think it was like $4,500 at the time um, with a ballast, with a head feeder, with the bulbs, you know, everything you need ready to turn on and work for 4500 bucks, which is, you know, a, a steal because you try and buy, uh, that was an older light, but mm-hmm. you try and buy a similar one new and you're you're out, I don't know, twenty twenty two thousand dollars 22000 Oh my goodness. Okay. That's serious. So, right. So, and obviously, there's there's some you know floating around on the internet for similar prices, and you know that are are also affordable. But that one was the best deal and the biggest light because most of the other ones for sale were four Ks, not six Ks. And you know, I wanted an extra punch, an extra little bit of light because that would be an easier selling point to production. Say, hey, I know you can get this four K for cheap, but here's a six K. It's you know thirty percent bigger for. Mm you know, the same price. And so I, I, gave this guy a call and I, you know, he said, okay, meet me halfway between LA and San Francisco in two weeks and we're going to do a, an illegal tie-in to a warehouse to test it. Cause you know, you need a generator generally speaking to power these things. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, yeah, so this was in the middle of when I was doing that feature division 19 and you know, we had, Weekend off, and I went out to I don't know, it must have been like San Luis Obispo or somewhere near there. At this, mm-hmm. met him at this middle of nowhere warehouse, which I was like, Am I gonna get yeah, those here? <laughs> where are we going? Hello, yeah, not sketchy I have $4,
0: at $4,500.
1: Hello, yeah, in cash. <laughs> yeah, and I'm showing up with, with forty hundred bucks in cash because yeah. <laughs> this light know, right here. I saved up for. I basically that was pretty much like my whole rate for the movie I just <laughs> did, and yeah. so I'm like, Yeah. You know, Major practically broke after spending all this, and it's all this money I'd saved up for over these months for mm-hmm. for this purpose. Mm-hmm. And you know, I show up, and the guy's actually legit. He's a, a gaffer, you know, who's retiring, mm-hmm. um, getting out of the industry, and selling all his equipment. And um, you know, piece by piece. And you know, we test the light, and it works great. And you know, have a good chat with the guy about lighting and. You know, I throw the the thing in my car and I drive it back down to L.A. and then, uh, you know, show up on set on Monday and we we start using it on the movie I'm doing. And you know, a day after owning it, I'm already making a rental on. It. I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, you and what know, are you renting it out I for? Could... What what was the starting day rate on this light? Um, I'm trying to remember the exact rate because it was a while ago, but it must have been like I think 400 bucks a week or something like that. Okay.
0: So 400 bucks a week. So, so this is the first time in your career that you're supplementing your income as, I don't want to say the talent, but as, as a person doing something with equipment, right? You've never done that up until this point. Okay. Yeah. So now you're increasing your income via this means.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, all of a sudden I made, you know, on two weeks with that, I made an extra 800 bucks. And okay. I was like, this is awesome. I just spent $4,500. And in two weeks, I just made 800. I mean, the math right. adds up there. This is going to pay itself off way quicker than I expected. And, and um, cause you said two years, what, when oh, do you think it, how yeah. long until it paid itself back? Oh, it was like four months.
0: Incredible. And then yeah, it, was, okay. it was quick.
1: Especially like I kept it at, you know, obviously it's a huge light. Um, it's like, where do you keep it? You don't, you know, it, it lives on the truck with all the rest of the gear when you're showing up to set, but you, you can't just put the thing in your car every day to take it to set. So I yeah. I made a deal with the, the rental house that I would normally rent all the trucks and equipment from and said, hey, can I keep this light here? And in return, you guys can rent it whenever you need and just cut me, you know, 60% of the check of, you know, so if they're going to, production's going to rent it for 500 bucks, You know, then I'll get 250, you get 250, or, you know, something like that. Right. And they didn't have anything in their inventory that was Mm. of a similar size at the time. They had some Mm. bigger ones and some smaller ones. There's nothing in the middle. So all of a sudden, next thing you know, I can't even use my own light anymore because they just keep renting it out and making money for me. And I'm like, this is amazing. I need Mm. to buy more. Genuine passive income.
0: Cool. Yeah. Okay, so four months out after your first purchase, you are thinking, "All right, let's invest." What's the next step?
1: Yeah, well, so the the next step was that okay, you know, me and this rental house are pretty close now. I so the discussion was was okay, what in their inventory? is lacking you know what do they need more of what don't they have Mm -hmm. um at the same time you know what's the light that i can get a rental for because it's a specialty thing yeah and so the decision was it was okay a couple um 800 jokers um which is you know small hmi which are super super popular and they said okay yeah we only have one of those so you know if you bought two yeah we're gonna rent them all the time and then because they're specialty and you know whatever i could rent them a lot too and, and that was significantly more expensive. And that was like $12,000 for the two. Okay. Um, which, you know, is was obviously a bit of a risk cause now, okay, now that's three times the cost of what I just paid for my last light. Yeah. This, this, be, yeah. you know, I wanted to buy them new. I was like, these better make some money. And, um, yeah, those things were flying off the shelves too. And then I was renting them to production all the time. And, you know, again, now I'm making another four or 500 bucks a week on on those and um yeah it was it was great
0: that's awesome man so i know that now you have i think you have what two trucks of <laughs> here or something like that you have something yeah. insane uh, so when did this from then what's the time frame from there to
1: today when when did that process start how many years ago so that that first light, that six K par, I bought yeah. in the um, the beginning of uh, 2014. So that okay. would be, um, you know, six and a half years ago. And half. Okay. And, um, yeah, so it was basically for I don't know four years or so. Mm-hmm. It was like kind of one light at a time. It's like okay, I made another five grand from my lights. So I'm gonna go mm-hmm. buy another light. You know, I just mm-hmm. kept reinvesting every penny Mm -hmm. of what the lights made into more lights yeah um just one at a time you know not borrowing any money not you know not taking out a loan or anything just like slow compounding growth right yes and it um it grew pretty quickly i mean faster than expected i mean to the point where all of a sudden instead of having two lights at this rental house i had 32 and i'm taking up multiple shelves and to the point where they're like you're taking up too much space you're not bringing in as much money as you're taking out because you're not renting any stuff from us anymore because you own too much you know Mm -hmm. get out of here wow (laughs) damn and um you know it it was that was sort of unexpected because i you know i've been giving them 100 percent of my business you know pure loyalty to renting from them for right you know six years seven years right and then the you know, next thing you know they're like oh get out of here you're taking up too much space we don't want anymore that's rough and you know at, at that point i didn't own a, a truck um or anything because i would just rent the trucks from them and they would help load the gear and you know i would just separate whenever i didn't have from them and it was it was a great system like it Right. It was mutually beneficial for a long, long time where they would get a bunch of money from my sub-rentals and from my truck rentals and they'd help load and unload the gear and, mm-hmm. you know, and store it for me. And It was, it was an amazing, um, partnership. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, it's, it's gone instantly. Damn. And, um, okay. you know, I knew really to, to survive moving forward. Um, you know, there weren't, there weren't too many options. I mean, um, uh, because, when you're dealing with such a large amount of equipment, you need multiple people to, to handle it, right. To, okay. to load it on and off the trucks and to count it and to check it and to test it and to, mm-hmm. to make sure it works. So the, you know, the one option as an individual to, to quickly bridge that gap is like, okay, you, you buy your own um, trucks and mm. they're just sort of, Preloaded with what you're going to use and then you can make little adjustments here and there but it's like at least the truck's loaded and you're not spending six hours, eight hours loading and unloading trucks every day and you're in charge of this Um, truck and the truck is
0: like the cheapest piece of the puzzle at
2: this point (laughs) oh I know I
0: mean the truck it was the truck purchase was six figures I mean they're not cheap oh man I did not know that I would have thought yeah okay that's that's no so it's
1: basically um you know at that point um yeah i owned a ton of gear but i didn't there were a lot of things i didn't own like i didn't own a lot of like the basic uh cable and stands and like cheap things that it would make more sense for me to rent from this rental house because they would load the stuff anyway and it would just save me time and Mm -hmm. and space not owning it right so Mm -hmm. all of a sudden i got to turn around and take out a, a huge loan for for trucks, for um, you know, for business storage space, for truck parking, mm-hmm. for all this other equipment that I didn't own to make up the difference, so I didn't have to be subrunning stuff. I could be completely self-sufficient and really run my own operation. And, you know, so I went from having you know X amount of inventory and like you know two months later, literally doubled um, to make up the difference. So what percentage, I mean,
0: it sounds like you got two, there's obviously two businesses going on here. Now there's this rental business, the equipment business, but there's still the creative you that's still wanting to actually do this stuff. So how's your time split? Is it mostly creative or is it mostly on the other business
1: or like 50, 50? Um, it's, it's kind of 50, 50. Um, I don't do, uh, I don't have a lot of focus on just renting out the equipment just mm-hmm. on on its own as the equipment um, because there's if I wanted to do that and just rent out the trucks on their mm-hmm. own it's like at that point you've got to you know hire full-time people working for you. Right? I was gonna and ask. You, yeah, um, did, are you did you hire anybody? Yeah, have that would that would that you know I I easily could have done that and I was making okay. enough money to do that but it was just the yeah. the decision to avoid that was one to. I get worried about just focusing on the rentals, and I wanted mm-hmm. to focus more on the creative. So, um, basically, it's like people come to me to rent individual lights, and it's like boom, I you know show up and give them a light, and they go okay. away, and it's easy. Or I focus on mostly renting to the to productions that I'm working on. Yeah. Um, so I'm able to still be focused in the creative and what I want to do,
2: because
1: mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I want to, you know, at this stage in my career focus on just the rental side. Sure. Um, Because it was, it's just not really what I want to do. Right. Um, And I don't want to just get stuck at home in an office just doing paperwork because that's not what I'm into this. That's not what you, and that's right. I mean, that's, that's the transition I'll make when I want to retire. And it's like, okay, I've got all this gear and now I don't want to go to set. I just want to (laughs) sit at home and play golf and yeah, exactly. I'll let the business. Exactly. Um, But for the time being, for the foreseeable future, it's like the, the ultimate goal is to still be focused on the creative while owning this business, which is is mostly focused on um, renting to the, the productions that I'm on. And right. um, so it's like you, you kind that. of went
0: from, so you go from, I'm the creative guy, now I understand there's this gear component, and then you kind of merge the two, and now you're saying like, okay, you can hire me for your project. But I'm bringing along a truck of my gear for this project, so when you hire me, you're getting this truck of gear and my expertise at, obviously, a much, much, much higher rate than if it was just you by yourself. So, But it's coming with you. Are you driving the truck? you're literally you're, no
2: okay <laughs> i
1: don't know um, you know generally speaking so you, you like on, a, on a union commercial we've got yeah. you know people with commercial driver's license oh, which okay. are, you know the teamsters union which are you okay. know, professional drivers right um
0: who you know are by the way to, to do i have a, a story about these drivers oh my god so my block um they used to shoot on my block all the time i live in, in east hollywood for our listeners. Um, so, you know, the, the, I don't know what about my block looks so filmable, but there have been so many productions like on my block in front of my apartment for Fox, like CSI, big things, huge productions with the star wagons and all of this, like the whole block shut down. And um, some of these star wagons that they have the the celebrities in, some of them are like semi-truck trailers. They're huge. Oh, yeah. They're so huge, yeah. They had a couple of these. So it was it was, yeah, I think it was CSI. It was a very big, like, A-list production. And there were a few of these things and I live on a pretty narrow side street that is kind of in between two major arteries of Mm -hmm. LA, but it's very narrow and there's, you know, there's cars when there are cars parked on both sides, like a lot of LA streets, two way traffic is, is tough. So I see this guy pull up with a a semi front end and he hooks onto the star wagon and he's at one end of an entire city block. Um, and i know where he needs to go he needs to go the entire length of the block but i see that he's facing the wrong way because the trailer hookup is facing you know the opposite direction from where he needs to go and i'm looking out of my Uh second story window and i'm watching this and i'm just thinking to myself like how is this guy gonna make this happen like i i'm looking at this problem i've identified it as a pretty serious problem And he gets in this thing, and I hear like the beep, 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 beep. He puts this thing into reverse, semi truck in reverse, cars on both sides, can't be much more than Mm -hmm. a car width in the street to work with, a whole block to go, blind semi truck. And at the end of this, backwards with the semi truck, you have a major street of LA, a major artery street (laughs) um, with tons of traffic 24 hours a day. So it's like, okay, even when he gets there, how is this possibly going to work? Cause he can't like put on a blinker and wait or see traffic. So I'm like, this yeah. is insane. So he goes, beep, beep, beep. This guy threads the needle in one motion. He backs all the way down the street. He backs onto the major street in one perfect motion, cuts through all of the traffic backwards, gets the front end out and drives off like it was nothing. And I was just like, "Holy shit!" Like I've witnessed the greatest accomplishment in driving that I've ever seen in my life. Like I was like, I was clapping. I'm like, "Who are these guys?" Um, but that's kind of typical of a lot of like the professionalism that these people oh, yeah. have. I was like, "You are clearly next level. This is something <laughs> you do like all the time, so I get it." Yeah, those commercial drivers. The, the, yeah, it's it's those, no those joke. Those guys make
1: it look easy
0: yeah yeah and like and like of course like for other people there's so much gear so much cable so much stuff and you're looking at this whole street covered in shit and you think okay it's gonna take them years to get rid of all this stuff you go make yourself a a pot of coffee and you come back and it's basically all gone and you're like (laughs) okay (laughs) i see how this works like y'all are really good at what you do um So massive respect. And obviously you're, you're now a part of that yourself. (laughs) I guess you're one of them. Um, Well, this, this is super, super fascinating stuff, man. I think this is a great, I think we've covered a lot of ground already. Um, I'm going to go into a bit of like speedier questions here um, to kind of wrap up a little bit. So who, who do you admire most in your field right now? Who do you look up to? Who do you want to be most of all?
1: um in my field specifically as a gaffer um uh the one person that you know if i could trade places with i think it'd be probably mike bauman um which you know average joe probably has no clue who this guy is i don't um but um you know if you look him up on imdb he's been a gaffer on you know so many huge movies in the last 30 years i mean Okay. Uh, uh, most recently you've probably seen Ford versus Ferrari. He did like the Phantom oh, yeah. Thread with uh, wow. Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, yep. you know, he's done a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. He's did, uh, birds of prey. Um, you know, with Margaret this year, um, he did the hunger games. He's done like, you know, like the Island with Michael Bay. Um, yep. you know, he's like the guy right now. And, wow. and you know, not only just from a creative perspective, with all the the awesome movies he's done, but he um you know, he owns a huge lighting rental company that's okay. actually bi coastal. He's got wow, you know, a huge company that is operating almost autonomously of what he's doing, both in LA and in New York. And Whoa. you know, at the same time doing like a movie like Ford versus Ferrari. It's yeah. like So he's got the artistic cachet and the business yes, acumen.
0: He's,
1: exactly. He's got that's it awesome. All. Film school need to have it or not? Um, you know, it, it depends. I think, uh, it really comes down to money and time, right? So it's like, if you're going to go to film school and spend a quarter million dollars and get student loans and, and, um, all that shit, uh, I, I don't think it's worth it. Um, but mm. if you can go even to a freaking community college or like super basic one for cheap and just, spend the time learning even on your own, um, with no pressure. I think it's great. I mean, cause I was lucky. I got, you know, a, almost a full scholarship. And so mm. the whole thing awesome. was free and it was a no, no brainer. Right. But yes. it obviously that's not the case for a lot of people, but the, sure. the big thing was like, it just gives you, gives you the opportunity to experiment with no pressure um, at a creative level because uh, mm. you know once you get out here and you know you you know you get hired to do a commercial it's like you got to get it done in the 10 or 12 hours they give you you can't just be goofing around experimenting with stuff you need to mm. know exactly what you're going to do and show up and do it mm. yeah you know, even the same thing on music videos it's like the, the schedule is all very very tight and if mm. you know if you don't know what you're doing Cause you're finding it still, it's going to be a problem. You're not going to get hired. So it's like the, yeah, that's, what's yeah. cool about film just that, that time to experiment with around. no pressure. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: And you know, and, um, I encourage people to do what I did, which was, you know, when you're, even when you're not making films, you know, just grab a camera and just go shoot stuff, mm-hmm. you know, just go out and shoot street photography and just
2: mm-hmm.
1: learn about lenses, lighting and, mm-hmm. you know, motion and just observe things with your eyes and force yourself to keep learning I mean I feel like that self-guided learning is just as important as the stuff they actually teach you in school Mm. Um,
2: because
1: you know think about it it's like if you just show up to your film school classes and your film school films you know it's like practicing a sport only when the official practices are. But if right. you really want to get good at that, sport, I've seen that. It's it, you the, movie, be is practicing called, of this the movie is called outside the The movie is called
0: The Sandlot. For those who want to <laughs> see that yeah. principle in action, right? <laughs> <laughs> for those right. of us born in a certain generation. Yeah. Um, uh, best piece of advice you've ever gotten professionally. Um,
1: uh, general or specific to the film industry.
0: Either way, but with a business slant, let's say, career slant, I suppose. But general is fine, either way.
1: Um, I, I'd say it's, it's sort of like, you know, push everything to the limit of, of you know, what you're capable of doing. Um, you know, don't half-ass anything. Because, you know, I've always found if it's if it's worth doing, it's worth giving 100% of Uh, of your energy into it. And, Mm. and, you know, sometimes pushing it over the limits of where you feel comfortable. And that's where you really start, Mm. you start learning and, and, um, you know, pushing your own boundaries and and getting better at what you do too. If you're not afraid to, you know, take a risk then you know, most of the time it'll pay off. And if you're, if you're hesitant to, to go outside of your comfort zone, I mean, I guess it's very general advice, but it's like, you, you're not really going to learn. You're not going to get better. You're just going to get stuck where you're at. And mm-hmm. You know, you see that with a lot of people that are afraid to to push the limit and take risks because they're afraid of, okay, maybe if I screw up, I'm not going to get hired for the next job. Mm. Well, yeah, that's true. But guess what? If you knock it out of the park, you're going to get hired twice as much as you would. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just got to pay, pay close attention when to take, those risks and when not to and when, when you see that opportunity just just go for it well hot damn man that is a wonderful
0: cap <laughs> to our discussion I feel <laughs> I think this has been great man thank you so much for doing this um, I think for anybody who listens to this there's a lot of gold in here <laughs> now we may not have <laughs> too many people listening to it but there's a lot to think about um, so thank you for, for sharing all of that and just for, for coming yeah, on my man pleasure been a pleasure dude um yeah. so unless you have any parting words i think the podcast is over my friend uh
1: no i think
0: uh yeah that's about it
1: um that's
0: all i gotta say all right <laughs> sounds good Podcast over. That's all she wrote. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Off and Path podcast. If you've been enjoying this show, please like, comment, share, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to me on YouTube. It would mean the world to me. Also, do you have an unusual success story or do you know someone who does? Well, please recommend them to me. They could be a future guest on this show. Maybe they've rolled the largest boulder down the mountains of Tibet, or maybe they built the world's largest chicken farm in Madagascar. The point is, I don't know what I don't know, so I'm looking for inspiration and unusual success stories. So help me by being a part of this adventure. I'm looking to grow this
2: podcast with you. Thanks again for listening.